0: Friends, if you have a bulletin or you read the bulletin this week, you realize that uh, we are finished our brief uh, series that we began the fall with, the uh, series focusing on Jesus' direct commandments to us. Do this, Jesus said. For instance, one of them was the celebrating the Lord's Supper. Uh, do this. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Uh, next weekend, uh, Faye and I will be at the uh, pastor's conference. The full name is actually the Banff Pastors Conference, but I don't want to make you feel bad. Yeah, the Pastors Conference. Yeah, we're going to meet Torrington, I think, at the Gopher Museum, and yeah, it's not it's not that special. No, in fact, it's wonderful, and we so appreciate. We haven't been able to go in years, and we look forward to reconnecting with our our uh, fellow ministry couples and uh, have some wonderful teaching from Dr. Ray Suter, uh, founder, founding member of Cornerstone Counseling, and my former seminary professor years ago. We look forward to being with Ray. But next week, uh, Pastor Dave will be leading us through the Lord's Supper, Communion time just want to tell you in advance, those fellowship cups, they can be tricky. So so, uh, maybe peel yours back or get it opened ahead of time. That was my one uh, tip for Dave. I said, open it ahead of time, as I found out the hard way last time. Uh, But we finished that brief series, and we're in this space between now and the Advent season. You realize that tomorrow's November. Uh, we got a little jump a day ahead. I, I, I love to wear the poppy and remember the sacrifice of of uh, the people in armed services and the families who uh, who uh, sacrificed so much in giving up their young people to uh, serve their country. But also uh, this month is going to fly by. And then the last Sunday of November is the first Sunday of Advent. That's the way the calendar falls this year. But in this space, I wanted to share with you something that I think is important. As you see the graphic before you, the motivating factor is a biblical warning against drift. In the world, we call it mission drift. It's something that is common with individuals and especially organizations that we can lose sight of our goals what we're about, who we are, and we can go off course. Little by little we can slowly drift. When I was a young boy growing up uh, in in churches in Oklahoma of all places, we had a phrase, it's an old fashioned phrase you don't hear much anymore. It was called backsliding. You didn't want to be a backslider. Backslider, it's an old fashioned way of saying a person who has drifted in Their faith. Now, I always uh, believed and believe Scripture is very clear that there is eternal security. We're not talking about losing your salvation, getting it back, losing it. You're saved by grace. You're not kept by good works. You're saved by grace from start to finish. It's all of grace. But Scripture says we can become fruitless individuals not pleasing our Heavenly Father. As Jesus says in the Gospel of John, you have been chosen to bear fruit, to bear much fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and sharing the good news with the lost, seeing God's kingdom grow. And when that passion, when those goals and direction of our spiritual life take a back seat to the ways and worries of the world, we experience that drift. And I think drifting is a more applicable description of it than backsliding. Because drifting thinks of movement. Something is moving. You never stand still. If you begin to sit still and not grow, just sort of be inert in your spiritual walk, walking with Jesus, culture Will move you along. And what direction is our culture moving? Jesus described this present age we live in as a broad road packed with people moving in one direction, and you can get carried along with it. But Jesus says that broad road ends in destruction. It's the way the world is moving. So we want to be vigilant, we want to be alert. We want to be focused on this wonderful salvation that God has given us. And that's what we want to share for a few weeks, looking at different aspects of the wonderful salvation we have. I've taken the name of our series, this brief series I'm calling Such a Great Salvation. I love that turn of phrase found in Scripture. The warning against drift, and speaking of this salvation that you and I experience as believers in Jesus... A passage is shared in the book of Hebrews. Just to set the stage for you, the book of Hebrews is called an occasional letter. It's a letter written in Scripture to Christians from a Jewish background. Not Gentile believers, they're Jewish believers. But they're undergoing a season of persecution. And it's so severe that some of them are beginning to consider stepping back from their Christian faith, at least publicly. They are wondering if it's probably better for them. Certainly, there'll be less persecution if they just go back to being Jews rather than Christ followers. And this letter is written to say, in no way can we do that. In no way. The warning is explicit at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 2. The first four verses read this way. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, this is one of the first times that the author of the book of Hebrews contrasts Christianity with Judaism, the roots out of which the Wild branches of Gentiles grafted in that Christianity grows out of. We are rooted in God's covenant people of Judaism. I'm not just speaking of succession, but that is the root, the trunk of the tree. That is the beginning of the story of salvation. God bringing it through His people, His chosen people. These people are now thinking maybe that's enough maybe we step back from this salvation. But this salvation, no longer the promise found in Judaism, but the fulfillment found in Christ is the only way of salvation. The book is very clear on that. You cannot go back. You can't go back. So we want to focus for the next few weeks on the aspects of the story of salvation. Now, it seems very basic to some of us. But as you saw recently, the number of people being baptized, there are people at every stage of their spiritual journey. There are those of us who've been down the road with Jesus for many years. You have great faith. You've experienced God's mercy and His faithfulness firsthand. But there's younger people in the faith. And I'm not just talking about chronologically young. They can be older people, but they may be new to the faith. And this is still something they need to be rooted and grounded in. And we all need to focus once again on this. Now, if I step on your toes, be sure I've stepped on mine first. Because I find this very convicting as well. I think of... How much time we spend in the ways of the world. Do you spend as much time in God's word as you do on your favorite hobby? Maybe you're a quilter and quilting flies by hours spent at the quilting frame, but minutes spent in God's word. I know I'll watch more YouTube videos on how to get that slice out of my golf game. than I will on teachers of God's word. We just do. We sometimes neglect what should be the primary motivating part of our lives. Our relationship with Jesus. So we'll be going through all of this together. Don't ignore our salvation. Don't be adrift. I've called today's message Such Great Salvation, The Sin Problem. Because it is not the problem of sin. It's the sin problem that all mankind faces. I open a bottle of water. You know, if you're sitting there with a mask on and it gets hard to breathe, and it does get hard to breathe, bring a bottle of water. As soon as you open that water, you can take off your mask, have a nice long drink, a few sips and a lot of nice breaths in between. Just a little pro tip I've learned over the last year and a half. The sin problem. first part of the sin problem we want to focus on, it's apparent to all of us, is that it is the universal human problem. It affects the whole world. Every man, woman, and young person in the world. The Apostle Paul, one of the verses that many of us memorized as young people from the Romans wrote, it was a wonderful little series of verses that uh, you could lead somebody to faith in Christ. And many of them, they were all found in the book of Romans. One of the passages from the Romans Road, there's a couple this morning, but we find it in Romans chapter 3. It speaks of sin and righteousness, which is being made right in your relationship with God. Paul writes, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness comes from This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a universal problem. We all need the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus because we are all sinners. The universal condition. But it's not a popular message. Remember, we spoke recently about the offense of the cross, not being offensive people. But the message can be very offensive to people who don't want to see themselves as sinners in need of saving. But scripture says we are. We need to understand the bad news before you can hear the good news. Years ago, before he passed away, he had, ran a wonderful Christian community in Brie, in Switzerland. Francis Schaefer, I have a few quotes today. Francis Schaefer said this about people's attitudes towards sin. And remember, this was quotes from like the 1970s. Imagine how much worse it is today. Schaeffer said, I have come to the conclusion that none of us in our generation feels as guilty about sin as we should. Or as our forefathers did. Is that ever true? When you read spiritual autobiographies and and even cultural stories about how people felt there was something wrong in their hearts. That they missed the mark when it came to God's holiness. But today, do people feel guilty about sin? Not only is sin normalized by culture, especially the media, which celebrates endless twisting of truth and goodness, celebrating every form of sin, not normalizing, but celebrating it. Oh, there's no, there's no guilt. There's no shame. And if you feel there's a biblical standard of morality, you're the problem how far we've come even since Francis Schaeffer's time. But the problem's still there. You can deny gravity all you want, but friends, your feet are rooted to the ground. You will never fly. You will never rise up because gravity is crushing you down. You can deny it, but you can't escape the effects every second of every minute of every hour of every day You're under the press of gravity. Sin is like that for us. We don't even notice it anymore. Well, Scripture says it wasn't always that way. That our original parents, Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, they were created without sin. Everything God created was good. The world was in right order. Let's look briefly. If you have your Bible with me, open it to the book of Genesis. There's a number of passages that we're going to attend to in the book of Genesis. The fall of man, original sin, where it started. It's not just the story from long ago. It's our story. Scripture says very clearly that in the choices and direction of humankind made in Adam and Eve, We had a part in that. We were all there. We were in our parents, united, all humanity in this couple. It's our story as well. In the fall of man, we see first that mankind, as presented in the book of Genesis, in the creation account, that we were not only created, because all of these living beings, all these creatures were being created. And we are creatures as well, made by our creator God. But set apart from them, we were unique because we were created for a relationship with God. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, because God had already been making lots of living things. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. because They were already there. Over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. That's one thing, but then God continues. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, he created them. Now the image of God, that phrase has kept theologians and thinkers busy for millennia. But I think it's among other things that's obvious that the image of God doesn't speak of us as being divine beings. We are, of all things, creaturely. We are part of creation. We may be God's crowning achievement there in creation because we were created As beings with a moral sense, with spiritual being as well as physical being, with the ability to relate to God, to be God's friends. We were also created as self-determined beings who could make moral choices. Now that is a great blessing, but also as we see in this passage, it can be a great curse as well. Because God created us relationship to know him to love him and in turn be loved by him and yet for there to be love there has to be the option not to love i think love needs be a choice Love needs be a choice. And we see that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. There had to be choice. God had to give them a command that they could embrace as God's good will for them or reject, and in doing so, reject relationship with God. Love had to have choice to it. We're not automatons. God could have created robots, but He didn't. He created living beings. We see in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of God. Of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. There was no death, but there was choice. Choose God, and in God is light and love and life. And when you reject God, in whom all life is, what's left? But death. Now, I'm sure Adam and Eve, they probably didn't fully comprehend that. But they soon came to know it firsthand. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How was that knowledge gained? Did the fruit magically impart knowledge? Or did the sin in eating the fruit open their eyes as they rejected God and immediately experienced Separation from Him. Their eyes were opened. Love needs be a choice. And when they took that fruit in hand that God had forbidden them, the one rule in all the world, when they did that, they rejected God. In sinning, we reject God. I'll read, it won't all be on the screen, but I'll read from Genesis chapter 3, that account of the woman You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hmm. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now there's something i got to point out there. It always bothered me and it bothers many people. And I've heard uh, speakers, for instance, from promise keepers speak long and hard about the fact that Adam in this story is standing idly by while his wife is got the serpent running rings around her and then deceiving her and and he just stands there silent and then she hands him the fruit and he eats it. What is wrong with that? Well, what's wrong is that's not what the story says. That phrase, her husband, who was with her. You know what phrase is not in the Hebrew Bible? It's not in the Bible. Who was with. It just says, her husband with her, she gave fruit to implying grammatically that it's a later time she shares the fruit with her husband. If Adam had been there, the very grammar of the passage would be different. The serpent would have said it to them, but it's only to her. Adam's not present at all in that story. She was alone and deceived. She ate. She sinned. And she bore the wages. And that, friends, is the part of the sin problem that we deal with every day. The wages. The results. Because in them rejecting God, the human race became a rebel race. This sinful couple did not bear sinless children. Very soon, we have one brother... Murdering the other brother because of jealousy. That rejection of God had profound consequences immediately. Scripture refers to that as the wages of sin. The wages of sin. We know what Scripture says. We say, well, it's death. Just as God had promised. If you eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, you will die. But oh, the long lasting consequence unleashed upon mankind looking at the wages of sin let's finish that phrase the wages of sin first the wages of sin is spiritual death the wages of sin is spiritual death as we see in genesis chapter 6 verse 5 the beginning of the story of noah we see what a outlaw people mankind has become the heart spiritually dead and far from God. The wages of sin is spiritual death. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. It's a long time ago, but it's very familiar. That's the world we still live in. The human heart. Our righteousness, our highest is like filthy rags in God's sight the human heart is fallen spiritually dead and broken in Ezekiel Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4 God refutes the thought that children spiritually suffer for the parent's sin Well, there's consequences that affect families. If you've ever been part of a family beset by sin, abuse, addiction, you know a parent's sin can have grave consequences for a child. But you are not punished spiritually for somebody else's sin. God says, no, you all sin." As soon as you can choose, you choose wrongly. Ephesians eighteen four says, For every living soul belongs to me, God says. The Father as well as the Son, both alike, belong to me. The soul who sins is the one who will die. We all own our own sin. The wages of sin, the spiritual death. That we're spiritually separated from the loving God in whom is light and life for all eternity. It's a choice we make. As soon as we're able to make it we make it and we all know firsthand as we've shared during our prayer time today that one of the wages of sin is physical death as well genesis chapter 3 verse 19 as god is enunciating some of the consequences we often call them the curses but these are the results god is being honest these are consequences of rejecting God and choosing our own sinful will. And one of those is physical death. Verse 19 of Genesis 3, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food (laughs) until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. This life is like a morning dew, vanishes so quickly, all too quickly for some. But this is one of the hallmarks of a fallen people. We're separated from God spiritually and we experience physical death as well. The separation of the soul from the body in which it dwells. Not only are the wages of sin spiritual and physical death, but the wages of sin is so far-reaching. So far-reaching. Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51, verse 5. The psalmist writes, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful From the time my mother conceived me. That's profound. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The resurrection chapter. Full of so much good news. But once again, before the good news, we have to understand the bad news. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 21 speaks of mankind. Fallen. It says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We're in Adam by birth. Not just birth. Scripture says by conception. We're in Christ through faith. In the book of Corinthians, Paul sees Jesus as the second Adam. The choices made by the individuals change the course for the whole race. Our parents, Adam and Eve, and God's solution, and the second Adam in Jesus. Taking the sin problem of all mankind and being the solution to it. For in the Old Testament, we have the problem the sin problem and we have God's promise that he was going to answer that problem and through forming a people God's chosen people giving them a covenant giving them the law the law couldn't save them but it could reveal to them that they were sinners unable to keep the law all of this needed to happen the problem the promise the preparation before the answer In the person of Christ. And we've experienced that, this far reaching problem. Oh, it's all around us, sin. You can't escape it. As the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said concerning sin and the world around us As the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there so abundantly there that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. It's the problem we all face today. The world needs Jesus as never before. There's more souls headed for a godless eternity in the world today upon 7 billion people than any time in human history. The sin problem is greater than it has ever been before. We've been talking about the wages of sin. The wages of sin, my final point, are earned. Your wages are what you've earned. What you are paid because you earned it. (laughs) There's an old saying that sin wouldn't be near as popular if its wages were paid immediately. (laughs) think about that but we think oh the payments deferred it's down the road or so we think we experience problems every day the wages of sin are earned but salvation is a gift we finish by looking at that familiar passage in romans six twenty three: for the wages of sin is death But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is the answer to the problem of sin. And in the weeks ahead, as we celebrate and focus on and seek not to drift from our great salvation, we're going to look at that. When we come back from the pastor's conference, Pastor Dave will share communion and a message next week. The week after that, I want to look at mankind's solution to the sin problem. Good works? Do works work? That's a question we're going to be looking at in a couple weeks. First, I want to leave you with the thoughts of great reformer Martin Luther once said about sin. You bear it or you give it to Jesus. Luther said, either sin is with you, lying on your shoulders... Or it is lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. Now if it is lying on your back, you are lost. But if it is resting on Christ, you are free and you will be saved. Now choose what you want. Today, I asked that old question that Luther posed. Do you still bear the sin that is yours by birth? And that you've earned as wages for your thoughts and your actions and your attitudes? Do you bear that sin today and the consequences that are coming daily and eternally of sin? Or through faith, have you turned to the Lamb of God? God's solution to the problem of sin. And as your sin nailed to the cross, as Jesus took it there, in your place. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate the wonder of atonement. The atonement that Jesus brought and paid the price for our sin. The sin problem. doesn't need to be a problem for you any longer. If you have never thought of this or made it personal, I'd invite you to talk to me or reach out to me through email if you're listening at home. I'd like to share answer to the sin problem with you and make sure that you have that taken care of let's close our time with a word of prayer heavenly father lord i thank you for the gospel gospel is an old-fashioned word that means good news because it's such good news that god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish as a result of sin. But have eternal life. Lord we thank you that the good news has come. Your answer to the sin problem. But Lord before we experience that. We must see ourselves as sinners in need of a savior. And that hurts our human pride. That can be very offensive. Because we like to compare ourselves to our fellow sinners. Rather than your standard. Holy God, who made us to know You and love You and be loved by You. I pray, Lord, today that Your Holy Spirit, who alone can convict of sin, not the words of a man, but Your Spirit bringing us to repentance and to put our trust, our faith in Jesus and what He did on our behalf. Lord, this is our prayer. And we pray it all in Jesus' loving name. Amen. God bless you and keep you today.